You are listening to Understanding Christianity. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Cole. I am the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as an adjunct instructor of Old and New Testament and theology and church history at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. It has been a long time since I've done a standalone podcast that was not related to what I've been preaching on Sunday mornings through the Gospel of Luke or teaching on Wednesday nights. Uh, There's been a lot of things happening in our family over the past few months. Uh, As many of you may know, my youngest son is special needs, and uh, he turned 21 back in May. And when he turned 21, a lot of things changed for us as far as um, him going to school and, and things like that. So a lot of our attention's been taken, to, uh, been given to taking care of him. Uh, we also had some home improvement projects over the summer. We put in a new uh, privacy fence in our backyard and had uh, one of our bathrooms remodeled. And so, uh, and then in the midst of all that, my wife has also changed jobs. And so, there's been a lot of things going on in our life that have kind of prevented me from coming in and recording a standalone podcast. But I'm glad to be able to do that today. Um, I want to interact with the theology of provisionism. And it's been a long time since I've done that. And and really this stems from a sermon in the Gospel of Luke that I preached a few weeks ago that I did not want to spend a lot of time on a Sunday morning giving attention to. But as I was doing sermon prep and thinking about this passage of Scripture, it really gave me um, pause to think about the theology of provisionism and their understanding of the nature of grace, their denial of total inability, and their understanding that the mere gospel appeal is sufficient to enable a positive response for a person to use his or her libertarian free will to say yes to Jesus. So again, provisionism, those that hold to that, like Leighton Flowers and others, they deny any type of internal, supernatural, sovereign regeneration of the Holy Spirit to overcome spiritual deadness, to overcome inability, to overcome a state of slavery to sin that would empower or enable or quicken or regenerate a sinner, granting them actually the gifts of repentance and faith so that they can turn toward Christ in saving faith. To them, all that needs to happen is the gospel needs to be preached, the gospel needs to be presented, the appeal to be saved in the gospel message needs to be given, and once a sinner hears that gospel appeal, they have the libertarian free will to say yes or no to that gospel appeal. Now, as I was preaching through Luke chapter 11, it's very interesting because This woman comes up to Jesus in the crowd, and she basically blesses Jesus because of Mary, his mother, who'd given him birth. And and in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God. Now, we know that Romans 10 teaches that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so, No sinner is saved unless they hear the gospel. You must hear the gospel presented in order to be saved. But is that all that must happen? For the provisionist, all that needs to happen is you must just hear it. We in the Reformed tradition would say, no, there needs to be an internal, supernatural, Holy Spirit-wrought work of effectual grace deep in the heart, mind, soul of a lost sinner 
to overcome spiritual depravity, to overcome spiritual inability, granting the new life, granting the gifts of repentance and faith, changing the will that's in bondage, transforming that will, freeing that will, so that a person comes freely to Christ because their will has been renewed through regeneration. It it is hearing, but it's hearing and the effectual call or the regenerating work of the Spirit. And so Jesus makes a very interesting statement after pronouncing uh, woes or pronouncing, a, you know, basically saying this, this evil generation seeks for a sign. And he gives the sign of Jonah and he talks about how the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment. But then in chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, Jesus gives a somewhat difficult passage of scripture to understand, but I think it's very informative in understanding how the provisionist view of just mere presentation of the gospel, merely hearing the word of God, is not enough. So let's listen to Jesus' words in Luke chapter 11, verse 33 through 36. Jesus says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy... Your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives light. Now, here's the issue. This is in the context, the immediate context of Jesus pronouncing this curse or this woe or, or basically saying this generation seeks for a sign. It's not going to give a sign except for the sign of Jonah. In other words, these unbelieving Jews demanded a sign. And Jesus goes on to further give instruction as to why they just can't merely hear the gospel appeal. Earlier, Jesus says, blessed are those who hear. So the reason why these unbelieving Jews were still in darkness and did not receive Jesus, their Messiah, was not, hear me very carefully, was not that they did not know who Jesus was. They knew who he was. They had seen him perform miracles. It was not that they did not have enough information. They did not have the light of the gospel. As a matter of fact, Jesus is standing right in front of them, teaching them in the flesh and basically saying, listen, I am the light of the world. I'm here. I'm not hiding myself under a basket. I'm not doing these things in secret. I am coming out in the open and I'm performing miracles. I'm casting out demons. I'm teaching and preaching. I am here. The problem is, is that these sinners are spiritually dead and blinded in their sins. The fundamental reason for unbelief here is not a lack of information or the gospel appeal or the mere presentation of the gospel. The reason is the wickedness of the human heart. Because thousands saw Christ in the flesh performing miracles, casting out demons, and yet those people remain in their sins and never trusted in him. So Jesus gives a teaching here about lighting a lamp, good ears, bad ears. It's it's, it's kind of a proverbial parabolic statement here. It's a little bit difficult to understand. But Jesus here is addressing unbelief, unrepentance, 
of these people who see him in the flesh, but yet refuse to hear and come to him. Jesus is the light of the world. He's not been secret about his teaching. He's not been secret about his miracles or his ministry. He's been out in the public so everyone can see and hear. He's not a light that's hidden under a basket, but a light on a stand so everyone can see the light. Now, what does it mean when Jesus says you have a healthy eye versus a bad eye full of darkness? Why does he use this expression of the eyes? I don't have time to go into the background, but that Jewish ancient culture would have understood the metaphor of the eye. The eye represents the soul, the inner life. Jesus is very careful in what he uses. In verse 34, he talks about a bad eye. The word is more than just bad. It's the same word that he used for evil that was used back up in verse 29 to describe this generation. In other words, it's an evil, wicked, twisted, depraved eye. What does this mean? What's the metaphor? What's the teaching? It means that Jesus is saying your entire soul is spiritually dead, it's blinded, it's corrupt. You're born depraved, unable to do anything positively to overcome this dire situation. We know Paul's teaching complements this. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he says, In their case, the God of this world, that Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ, who's the image of God. Unbelievers are blinded by Satan. In other words, they have an evil or a wicked or a blinded, twisted eye that cannot see the glory of Christ. Now remember, in the context here, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm right in front of you. I perform miracles right in front of you. I'm teaching right in front of you. You know the gospel appeal. You have the message right in front of you. I am the light of the world right in front of you. But you're not seeing because you have a wicked eye. You're not hearing because you have bad ears. You are deaf. You are blind. You are corrupt. You're dead in your sins. Now, in verse 31, Jesus gives a warning to be careful that your life is not overcome by darkness. He, he wants unbelievers to know their true condition in this state of spiritual deadness, spiritual blindness. In other words, these people in front of Jesus are hopeless, helpless, and hellbound. They are twisted to the core of their beings. They have dark hearts. Philip Graham Ryken has said this in his commentary on Luke. He says, quote, But when our spiritual eyes are bad... When they are covered with the cataract of unrepentant sin or blinded by the skeptical demand for more and more evidence, then we cannot see Jesus as our Savior. And listen to what he says here. The problem is not that we do not have enough light, as if God needed to give us a more brilliant sign. No, God has given us enough light in the gospel. The problem is that we cannot see it because our hearts are still in darkness. The problem is not the gospel appeal. The problem is not that Jesus has not given us enough information in the gospel. The gospel appeal enough, Jesus is the light of the world, the message proclaimed, the light of the gospel, the appeal of the gospel, the presentation of the gospel, that is not enough to bring a sinner to repentance and faith. Because there's something fundamentally 
wicked and twisted inside of us before we are regenerated. Jesus calls it here an evil eye. In other words, our soul is evil. It's twisted. Now, you can try to make moral improvements. You can try to clean up your act. You may think that you have the libertarian free will once the light of the world is presented for you just to automatically believe that. But if your eye is evil and your whole soul is in spiritual darkness, the only thing that can change that inward transformation is for the Holy Spirit to cause you to be born again, to open your blind eyes, to make you alive, to come in and change your evil eye, i.e. your evil heart, to change that spiritual darkness that's within you. Again, Jesus says, listen, I'm the light of the world. I'm right before you. The information is there in front of you. The gospel appeal has been made to you. It's not that you don't have the information. It's not that you don't have the gospel appeal. It's not that you don't even have me in the flesh before you. That's not the problem. And that is not sufficient enough to cause you to repent and believe, to hear my words. And the reason why is because you have an evil, twisted heart. You have a dead, corrupt heart. Something fundamental has to happen to your heart in order for you to come to faith. Can you change your heart? Jesus says in John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. That's interesting. Jesus says, unless you're born again, you can't see. Something has to happen to you before you can even see the kingdom of heaven. Before you can even see your need for a Savior, you have to be born again. In other words, before the new birth, you can't even see your condition. You can't even see the Savior. Your eyes are blinded to the glories of Christ. You cannot see your need for Jesus as the light of the world. Something has to happen to you. You must be born again. And you can't cause yourself to be born again any more than you caused your physical birth to happen. God must do this miraculous work of grace in your soul to make you born again. And so the fundamental problem here is that all believers are spiritually dead, blinded by Satan, morally bankrupt, and unable to save themselves. They are wicked and twisted and corrupt to the core. And so the issue here is not that the mere gospel appeal is enough to enable a response. As I was going through this passage of Scripture and reading commentaries and thinking about it, I immediately thought about what the provisionists say about the nature of grace. All a sinner needs is the gospel appeal. Once they hear it, they have the libertarian free will to accept it. Well, what does Jesus say here? He says, listen, I'm standing right before you. I'm kind of paraphrasing Jesus here. I'm standing right before you. I'm the light of the world. I'm giving you the information. You've seen the miracles. You've seen my teaching. You've heard my preaching. You've seen me walk on water. You've, it's not that you don't have enough information. You've got as much information as you need to make a choice. You have all the information you need. More so than we have even today because Jesus was in the flesh right before them. And he says to them, here's the problem. The problem is you have wickedness to the core of your being. You're spiritually dead. You're spiritually blind. You cannot hear. You cannot receive. You cannot come to me because you are wicked. Now, let me address an objection here because I know what the provisionists are going to say to this. They're going to say yes. But the problem is not that they were totally morally unable to come to faith in Christ because of a condition they were born with. 
No, what the issue is here is that they were judicially hardened in their unbelief, and so that judicial hardening prevented them from coming to faith in Christ. Now let me just ask you a question. Is there anywhere in this particular passage of Scripture where Jesus says, the reason you're not coming to me is because you've been hardened, you've been calloused, you've been judicially hardened, you have blind eyes that have happened to you because of a hardening? Now, Jesus addresses that in other places, but let's just stick with the immediate context here. If Jesus were to give a reason as to why they're not hearing, why they're, they're not coming, why they're demanding a sign, why they're wicked, he could have, in this passage of Scripture, said, the fundamental reason why you are not coming to faith in the light of the world is because you've been judicially hardened. He does not say that. He says, it's your eye. Your eye is wicked. Therefore, your whole body is full of darkness. Your whole body is full of wickedness. Your soul, to the depth of your being, is corrupt. Now, they may say, well, we can take that to mean they've become judicially hardened over time because they've kept rejecting, they kept rejecting, and so they harden themselves. This is not a condition from birth that all people are born with. Now, granted, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus does not teach that this is a condition from birth, but on the same token, he does not teach that this is a condition where they are judicially hardened. And so Luke is selective in what he chooses to record in his gospel, and we cannot force the text to say something that it doesn't say. But we use what's called the analogy of faith. The analogy of faith, which we go back to the Reformation. The analogy of faith simply means that Scripture interprets Scripture. So when you come across a passage of Scripture that's maybe difficult to understand, maybe it's a little bit more obscure, maybe it's got some, some areas that we can't quite ultimately figure out what it's saying, we go to the passages that are more clear, more didactic, more thorough, and we compare Scripture with Scripture because we believe in, at least I believe, and I think this is the Reformed Evangelical position on inerrancy is that the Bible contains no internal contradictions whatsoever. The Bible cannot have internal contradictions. The Bible is a unified whole that is verbally inspired by the Holy Spirit. The written scriptures that we have are God-breathed, and therefore, when we don't understand a particular passage of scripture, it's not because that passage of scripture is somehow inerrant or in error, it's that we lack the understanding. But there is no internal contradiction. So we come to this kind of difficult passage of Scripture where Jesus is speaking in parabolic language about the light and the body and the eye and the lamp and, and all these things. And obviously, it's a little bit difficult for us to understand, but if we, sit, if we just take some time to understand the metaphors he's using, no one after lighting a lamp puts it on the cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those may enter may see the light. Okay, so we have to ask the question, Jesus does not come out and say, listen, I'm the light. I'm the lamp that's been out on the basket. I'm not hidden. He doesn't specifically say that. But if we let Scripture interpret Scripture, we know that in John chapter 8, Jesus stands before the crowd and says, I am the light of the world. And so we can infer from other places that are more clear when Jesus makes a clear I am statement that he's speaking here about himself being 
the light. He's the light of the world. He's the lamp that's not been put in a cellar under a basket, but he's the light on a stand. In other words, Jesus is out in the open teaching, preaching a public ministry. Then your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body's full of light. When it's bad, your body's full of darkness. When your eye's bad, your body's full of darkness. Again, the metaphor here is when you have, you, your eye represents your soul. It's wicked. It's evil. It's twisted. Thus, your whole body's full of darkness. In other words, Jesus is saying, in other words, Jesus is basically saying, I'm giving you a, a metaphorical definition here of spiritual depravity, of total depravity, of moral inability, of the wickedness of your heart, the wickedness of your eye. The problem is not the light. The light's very clear. The gospel is very clear. The information's very clear. That's not the problem. The problem is you have a wicked, unbelieving heart that's preventing you from clearly seeing the light that's right in front of you. Now, where the Reformed and where the Provisionist digress is the reasoning behind why a lost person cannot see the light. Because the teaching from Scripture is very clear here from Jesus. The, the, mess, the information's before you. The gospel appeals before you. Why aren't they trusting in Christ for salvation? Why aren't they hearing? Well, the Reformed answer that we give, and we think it comes from the text and from other texts, is that they are morally and spiritually born in a condition of deadness, of blindness, where their heart is corrupt and they cannot hear, they cannot respond because they are spiritually dead. That's our understanding, not only from this text, but from the analogy of faith where the rest of the Bible teaches deadness and sin, like in Ephesians chapter 2. I talked also about John chapter 3. The provisionists would say the reason why they cannot see, hear, and respond to the gospel appeal that's very clear in front of them is because they become judicially hardened. So even the provisionists have to concede that there is something preventing a person from using his or her libertarian free will. And what they say prevents the, the use of libertarian free will is judicial hardening. Now, we come to this passage of Scripture, and we say, okay, I don't see judicial hardening in here. And the rest of the Bible, analogy of faith, teaches spiritual deadness, moral and spiritual inability. And so you've got a passage of Scripture here where a provisionist has to struggle with it because the information is very clear. The gospel appeal is before a group of people who are demanding signs. They aren't hearing Jesus in the flesh. They have the information, and yet they're not coming to faith. Why? Why are they not coming to faith? The provisionist answer, well, they must be judicially hardened. It has to be the answer. Our answer is no. The text tells us about the body, the eye, the wickedness of the heart the moral and spiritual depravity that people are born with that has to be overcome by sovereign regeneration. And so the reason that I bring this up is that oftentimes what I hear the provisionists doing is they kind of give their talking points. They stick with a few passages of Scripture. But when you do expository week by week preaching and teaching, where you dive into the text, you struggle with the text, you look at the original language, you look at what some um, you know, 
co scholarly commentaries have to say, you begin to see that the Bible over and over again teaches these themes that we hold to in the Reformed theology tradition. I, I think sometimes the provisionists don't do exegetical expository week-by-week -week work in the text. They stick with some of their key texts. They stick with some of their key talking points. But I found it very interesting that I, I wasn't even looking for this. I wasn't even looking for a way to argue against the provisionist viewpoint on the mere gospel appeal being sufficient. But when I came across passage of scripture and when I wrestled with it and when I looked at the original language and when I looked at the, the way that the ancients understood the eye as being a metaphor for the soul and you look at all these things and then you, you read some scholarly commentaries that bring things to light, you basically come to the conclusion that, wow, I wonder how a provisionist would answer this passage of scripture because it seems to contradict their view that the mere gospel appeal is sufficient to enable a response. And Jesus says, not really. As a matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. I'm standing right before you. I'm the light of the world. You have as much information as you're going to get. You demand a sign, I'm standing right in front of you. There's the death, burial, and resurrection. That's the greater sign, that, the sign of Jonah. It's the sign of the resurrection. That's the greatest sign. You have all the information you need. You have all the facts you need. You've got everything that you need as the light of the world, as the gospel, as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus staring you in the face. The issue's not the information. The issue's not the gospel appeal. The issue's your heart. It's corrupt. It's twisted. It's evil. It's wicked. And only a sovereign work of regeneration deep in the heart by the Holy Spirit can overcome that to create in you a clean heart to creating you a good heart, to take you from being a bad fruit to being a good fruit, something that only the Holy Spirit can produce in you. And so the provisionists have some difficulties here because they've got to address from the text why the information is not enough. First of all, they've got to deal with that issue that the mere gospel appeal is not enough in this passage of Scripture because Jesus basically says it's not enough. They have to deal with that issue first. And then secondly, they've got to deal with the issue, okay, if it's not enough, why is it not enough? What's the issue? And so from the text, they've got to prove judicial hardening, or they somehow have to jump out of other texts. And, and I'm not saying that provisionists don't use the analogy of faith. Uh, they will go to other texts, I think, sometimes to, to bring in things to, to prove their point. What I'm saying is, is that the overall teaching of Scripture, the analogy of faith, Scripture interprets Scripture, if you look at it as a whole, you look at these teachings, I'm thoroughly convinced over studying the doctrines of grace for the past 25 plus years is that the scriptures consistently, accurately, faithfully teach these truths that we would hold to in the Reformed viewpoint. And so I just wanted to come in and address this issue because it was kind of on my radar screen when I was doing a sermon prep. And obviously, I didn't want to address this and talk about provisionism. Uh, my church would not understand this if I did a digression on a Sunday morning. It would, it's not, I don't talk about provisionism from the pulpit. Um, these are things I do on the podcast here on Understanding Christianity because I know I have a listenership that likes me to address these things. And so I really appreciate you listening. 
I know this is a short little podcast, maybe that's good, uh, keeping it under 30 minutes, but um, I hope to get back in and and do some more recordings of these, Um, but God bless you, thank you for listening, I really appreciate, if you have any questions or concerns or things, future topics you want me to talk about, uh, you can go to seancole.net, you can find my contact information, Um, one of the good ways that you can follow me is to go to my Facebook page, if you want to become my friend, Uh, you can go to my personal Facebook page, Um, the sermon videos are there from Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. Um, and then a lot of other things that I post as far as some articles that I write and things that I do. I, I write an article for the newspaper here in Sterling um, that comes out every other week and, and other things like that where you can get a little bit more information than just here on, on this podcast. So thank you. May you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity.